I have just enjoyed the second best dunny I've ever experienced in Australia. Isn't that uh, I hate to say, yes, there is actually a better one, but it's overlooking the Dampier Archipelago. And you don't need to shut the door, but we don't need to shut the door on your property, Margie Fitzpatrick, that uh, you sometimes enjoy the view looking out across your sheep property here at Australind. Yes, I do. Yes, I've had a few good ones in my life too but that one's a pretty nice one I like that one but I I don't get to use that one often anymore because I have the privilege of going inside isn't that a shame it is a beautiful beautiful sunny day here now Australin tell me a little bit about it's a sheep farm and what else Uh, it's a mixed business I have cattle and sheep. I used to have wool sheep but I've gone out of wool um, and I'm going into meat production because I've gone into Aussie White and Dorper sheep because they're browsers and they're not selective grazers and I think I can get a a better grazing regime going with with these particular sheep. How long have you been on this property? Um, Well my family's been here since um, 1830 or 1860, I can't, I'll have to find that out to be exact. Um, so it's my mother's family who have come here right from the first land grants given and I've been on here since... Uh, my husband was running it in 1990, um, about 1993 he came out and we lived in on the edge of Goulburn and then in 2005 we moved out here to live out here as well as run it my husband and myself and uh, he passed away in 2006 so I've been running it with the help of people since then What's your earliest memory of the land what does it look like Uh, Well my grandmother uh, had a wonderful garden down there and I remember coming out when I was a grandchild and running around her garden and uh, I enjoyed that and the old fireplace and the old firewood stove. Um, when I was a child, we didn't get out much. It was only when I was um, when my mother actually took over the land after the brothers. She came out when she was 49, and um, so I was about 16. I was really leaving home by then, and I must admit, um, I see you, Larry. <laughs> I remember that. Um, my, I was used to go around with my mother to do things and I remember seeing all the erosion and thinking how horrible it all was and what were we going to do about it and I couldn't imagine what we were going to do about it. And it's only taken me, it's taken this long since I was 16 and I'm way past 16, decades past 16, that I'm actually doing something about it. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that in a moment, but... Uh was there a time when you say you thought you might stay on the land when you might what was the oh, what was yes. the thing that made you stay here um the th- well it was uh, i never wanted to leave the family but my mother wanted me to 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 be a part of it she wanted me to marry a farmer and i was an artist and i couldn't imagine marrying a farmer because i didn't want to live t- i didn't want to be a farmer's wife i didn't like what that had in store for me and I was an artist so I wanted to live a bit more of a colourful life so I kind of shunned the idea of being on the farm because I knew it was a fairly constricted kind of concept and fairly conservative and I I didn't really want that 
and I didn't want to be a wife of a farmer because to me it never looked very attractive. Well, I have to say I was reading an article in a paper or somewhere the other day and it referred to farmers and his wife. How does that attitude strike you now? Oh, no, it doesn't exist anymore. That attitude, I don't even... I don't even... I, I, I just don't take that one seriously because there's no such thing anymore. It's changed. And that's why I've come to be here because when... Um, when my, my husband said he'd take on the farm after my mother died, I was really happy that he did and that I was going to help him. And I helped him for a bit, but I, we were living in town and I was raising two children and there was this time logistics that prevented me from coming out and actually really helping him. And when the drought came, that 90s drought, uh, it just wore a really big hole in my husband, so much so that... Um, he, I don't know what happened, but but he got cancer, and um, but I I didn't know he had cancer. But we decided we'd both move. I we would come and live out here rather than he travel every day to make it easier for him. So when I came out with him, we we sold the place in town, and we're on eighty acres in town anyway, so we're already a bit land orientated, and. Uh, and when we got out here two weeks later, he was diagnosed with stage three cancer. So it was then a journey for him and us to deal with that. And the, the whole concept of the land then just went out the window, the business. We just had help and it was just a struggle then. And then I remember I was digging in the garden one day and I was really cranky that he'd gotten cancer and that he was going to leave us and I was really cranky and I came and I was digging the garden and I just said I just went I, I really want to live here I really want to I really want this life and I went in and I said look I really want to be here I really want to live here and I said I'm going to live here with you or without you because <laughs> I was cranky because I didn't want him to die really wanted to be here because I liked working the veg I wanted to grow my own veggies and I liked the land and I thought no I'm not going to let this stop me so that was I think the major turning point because I was in a position where it was you know it was life and death and with him it was death so I had to rebirth myself I had to reinvent myself and do what I'm doing in in a new way because I had children <laughs> and a fair, I had to make a living yeah. to raise them and to, and to be strong for them. Now, w when we were up in the paddock, you were saying you were, your, your thinking has changed a bit, that you... I got the impression that you were resistant to some of these ideas early on. Is that true? I, I, I wasn't resistant... Well, there were no ideas. I had no idea how to repair anything, so I didn't have any technical ideas... But um, I didn't. I was having. I was. I was resisting the idea of um, being on the property because my my sister and brother-in-law were here, and uh, they were way different from me. And I didn't want to have to be a part of that. If they were going to run it, then I didn't really want it. So it was a family thing. But then my husband and sister broke up. Uh, her husband and my sister broke up and she was not uh, interested. So then I had a free thing. So, yes, I was interested when... Um, but I, I was running children, raising children, uh, and I'm an artist. So there wasn't a lot of time and we were just making ends meet. We had to live. And it was only when 
I came out um, when Michael died and then... Okay, so the the land was in a fairly degraded state, a lot of erosion, and we've just seen some places sheet erosion and gullies looking pretty deep and severe. Mm. What did you do? What was the first thing that happened? What step did you take to do something about that? Well, the chap who was renting our house down here when we li- did live in town, he told me that um, there was some money available for grants. First thing we did was put in some... Uh, fencing we put in the trees and we put in some engineering some rock flumes to to get the water safely down rather than eroding all the the sheet erosion so it was the rock flumes to get the water down safely into a safe passage so you targeted the the water courses is that right and you exclude the stock from just around the verges i did yep for five years yeah. While yeah. the trees grew and the grass grew and stuff like that. And then I strategically grazed it after that. What, what, what's strategic grazing? Time, animals left in the paddock. So it's called it time plan grazing where the animals uh, are in the paddock according to the amount of animals versus in comparison to the amount of grass you got. So you have to do a, a fodder budget. Yeah. And then it's carrying capacity, so it wasn't overgrazed, and it was for a short time. So in and in for a few days, and then out. Has it changed your overall stocking levels? Yeah, I've reduced numbers quite severely, um, just to let the land get back. And then I had a lot of grass, so I restocked, and then and then I've destocked. So it's moving animals in and out a bit. Right. And does that affect your bottom line, having yes, to do that? it does. It does a bit. Um, yes, it does. Uh, and it's only because I'm new at the game. Um, and the idea is if you can get a bank of grass in your property and always have enough, never get it down too far, then you'll be in a much better position to stay more afloat but I'm still in trying to get a bank of food that's healthy so I'm in the early stages really of all of this so it's going to take me a little while so but I'm getting there my paddocks are looking a lot better than they were if that's a immediate effect on your bottom line to reduce the stock numbers but does it help in the longer run because you're not degrading the, the land yeah yeah and I've noticed that places are like you saw that dam that was fairly low that dam because there hasn't been a lot of runoff and that's a big catchment there yet my pasture looks pretty green because it was green all through the summer because I had cover on my place and even when it got really dry we had that beautiful spring where really we, we got a lot of food and then because I didn't eat it all down to the ground it stayed green all year all through that hot summer so when the rain did come took off so it's, it's paid you back then because the land is more resilient now isn't that right oh, it's, i think it is becoming more resilient. Yeah. yeah yeah i think so now you've worked with the uh, rivers of carbon people and shuan love it and so on what, what's that experience taught you oh it's taught me a lot it's taught me about uh, stick with it you know there's a body of people who are all sticking together 
and follow things through and they're there at the end of the day. They don't go away, you know. The support network is there constantly. So it, it's not only is it the, the money, because the money has been, the funding is coming through, and they make it so when the funding comes through, it's available, which is really important. They work in a close network, all of them, and it's really important because if you can't win out on this with them, you can win out there. The support network is very strong. Give me a bit more detail about the work on the water courses that you've done. So this afternoon we were wandering across some of the places where you've done some work. What does that look like? How would you describe that? Oh, some of those soft engineering processes where you gather rocks out of the paddock and you place them strategically in the, uh, you know, you've got to, there is a technique, but um, it's just about um, putting in a a bottom um, foundation stone and then keying in, locking in all the rocks so that when the water comes over it, it kind of goes over the rocks, slows the water down. And so, therefore, uh, you dissipate the energy. Okay, so it's a crude kind of rough paving, but it's not—it's permeable as well, isn't it? Very permeable, because any little seed that grows falls in there, it can sprout, and then eventually, hopefully, plants take over and then stabilise that whole area. Uh, but the rocks will probably always be embedded in there and yeah, and create yeah. a base for it. Well, when you when you're slowing the water down, what are you achieving by doing that? Well, it's about um, what the whole rivers of carbon message is: messing it up and slowing it down. It's just taking the energy out of the water. So when the water's coming down the hill, um, it gets to those little logs and then plops over it, plops over, and it's breaking up the momentum. And if it's any debris up the top of the hill, it's getting caught in that timber, any seed, and then. It's all a bit moist in there and the seed germinates, grass grows and you get a little microcosm in all of that dead timber and then, of course, eventually the timber rots and goes in as nutrients anyway because all the nutrients are in the wood and when it finally breaks down and rots down, you're actually building soil. All your dead wood's building soil because it's all all minerals and... How would you describe the watercourse now, looking back at it, comparing to what it was, say, 10 years ago? Oh, yes. No, it's incredible. Uh, it's, well, you saw it this morning. It's full of life. Uh, you know, it, it's vibrant, isn't it? It's shade and, and there's a lot of green and a lot of diversity of plants, all the different species you saw. No, it's, it's tremendous. It's, it's, uh, it makes me get up and keep going when I walk down that little river course when I see all how beautiful it is you just sit there and you just lie there and it's quiet and still and you go wow this is beautiful so that's the um, that's the piece of cake at the end of the day I don't know if you had any final thoughts oh final thoughts well <laughs> look um, I'm very inspired on a daily basis when I get up in the hot summer months when it's pretty brown and dry even though I had cover on my place and I could still see the green, you always know that you can do some more. So it's, for, it's a forever thing. Um, I ride my bike around, my quad bike, and I have my dogs. They come with me, and I'm feeling very, very fortunate that I've got this as my 
backyard because not many people have this. So I personally am I am very lucky, and I'm um, I'm feeling very responsible, and it's hard work some days, but the whole lifestyle is a joy. So if you don't get joy out of it, then do, do you think other landowners would, would feel a similar way about it? There are many who do. Yes, there are. Um, there are uh, particularly uh, because I'm a woman. When I speak to other women, you know, we are we're on the same page because we we're, we're thinking the same kind of way. But there are many men who are finding a lot of joy in in uh, discovering different ways to do things now, and it's that's re- that's really fantastic to be amongst men who uh, who take it on as more more than a job. If you wanted to imagine this property, Australind, in twenty years, fifty years time. What will it be like? Mm, I reckon probably this times, like more species, more diversity, more copses of trees and lines of trees, more water lying in, in the in the creeks, more moisture. Um, I'm hoping to reinstate the wetlands down here. That needs some some earthworks. But we'd like we, we've got a plan to reinstate the wetlands down here, so that the whole place is a lot cooler. It's not as hot in summer. They'll have more trees, keeping it cool, more more grass, so that the whole place stays cooler, and then it can re- precipitate a little more easily. So less chance of harsh fires. Well, and if that can be. Your legacy, Margie, that would be a wonderful thing. Mm. Well, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. And there are many people who, who aren't the same as me, I think. Well, I, I look forward to 50, 100 years' time <laughs> uh, saying thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Rod, for uh, talking with me.